Jesus asked many questions that cut to the heart of the matter and revealed truth to those who listened. But what can these questions teach us about life and God in our modern times? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. Our scripture today is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. And they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those that were gathered with together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let's, uh, this is a great passage of scripture. Uh, and and there's, there's so much available to us in this. And, and I want to, as we can continue on with our series, Questions Jesus Asked, look at the, the main question in this, ser- in this uh, passage of scripture. But I want to do it uh, in a little bit of a different way. I want to ask us, all of us, to kind of step back and consider for a moment here the question, what story am I telling myself? What story am I living out? Right? How do I understand my world and what am I telling me? How does this story that I'm telling, that I, I see myself living out, affect the choices and the decisions that I make? 
but before we go any farther, let's just make sure we're on the same page because, you know, this piece of scripture sort of jumps right in at, at a moment in Jesus's life. And, and unless you're familiar with the story, you kind of won't know exactly what's been going on. So let me try to bring everybody up to speed so that we're kind of on the same page. Jesus of Nazareth had just spent the last three years in a very public ministry, going from town to town, telling anyone who would listen that the kingdom of God had come. To most people in these towns, the kingdom of God meant that God Almighty, Jehovah, himself was about to establish his presence and rule on earth. God's kingdom is the early, uh, the earthly manifestation of all the Jewish people held dear. This idea was at the very heart of the identity of the people of Israel. In addition to declaring God's kingdom, Jesus also displayed substantial power. He healed sicknesses, rescued people from demonic possession, multiplied food to feed large crowds, and even raised people from the dead. Though many people followed Jesus around, each for their own reason, maybe to see another miracle healing, maybe to get another miracle meal, or maybe because they believed in what he taught about the kingdom of God. There was still yet a smaller group of those who had been with him early on. These ones, the Bible refers to as his disciples or followers. And with these people, Jesus had more intimate conversations and providing further insight into who he was. And we read much of that in scripture, in the Bible that we have. When Jesus was arrested, this group, this was the group that stayed as close to him as permissible. Then this was also the group that huddled together in fear and confusion after his gruesome death on a Roman cross. It was over. Something they never thought possible. So they hid together. At any moment, they imagined a Roman garrison could break down the doors, arrest them, and lead them to their own executions, all for daring to believe in the one who they were convinced was someone very special and unique from God. After waiting in dread for three days, they began to believe that the threat had passed. Some of them even slipped out very early on in the, uh, on the third day, resolving to try and reintegrate back into their normal lives and maybe even pretend that none of this had ever happened. Cleopas and his friend among the first of the hiding disciples to emerge began the roughly seven mile trek back to their homes in a town called Emmaus, which is kind of roughly like walking from the church to Thetis Lake in the West. I don't know if that was West, that's my West, but anyway, Thetis Lake, uh, or to like Maddox Farm in the North. It was on this journey that they encountered a mysterious stranger who asked them a question. The question for us today, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
sorry for the length of this question, not, not really concise, uh, maybe not as evocative as why do you worry or as interesting as what reward do you have? But this particular question asked of these people, as it turns out by this particular man acts to peel away wrong layers of their story. You know, the story that they were telling themselves about their lives, the story that was giving them the structure to understand their world and how best to operate in it. We all do this. We all live in a story. Each of us lives based on details that we accept as part of reality. The danger, of course, is that sometimes the details we accept or that we tell ourselves don't always line up with what is real. Some of you know that uh, for about two and a half years, uh, my wife and youngest daughter uh, and I lived in New Zealand. And one of the things that I discovered about the New Zealand culture is their love for surfing. Now, I know that uh, that exists here on Vancouver Island as well. I didn't experience that when, when I grew up here. I didn't see much of that. But in New Zealand, it's always in front of you. They're surfing no matter the weather. It doesn't matter. They're, they're out there. You'll find somebody uh, surfing. And so I thought, I, you know, I, I watched them do it. Uh, I'd seen it on TV. You know, I thought about it a little bit. And I, th- I told myself, yeah, I can do this. I can do it, right? It's part of my story now, right? I can... Uh, I, I look at it and I go, yeah, it looks pretty, I, I won't say easy, but you know, it makes sense to me, right? The surfboard is there. It helps, you know, keep you above the water. Cause I, I, I figured that was an important part of this, of surfing was to stay above the water. Uh, and so I thought, well, I, well, I'll just give it a try. And so my wife agreed. Michelle thought that was a, a great idea. It looks fun and weather in New Zealand's awesome. And so one morning we went out and we, uh, we went out actually with an instructor. Okay. So I was not too proud to sort of say, I will um, take a lesson to learn, right? Just in case maybe there's some tricky parts to it that I wasn't expecting. Remember, right? I told myself that, right? I, I could do this. I could do this. Well, uh, you can ask my wife for verification after, but I am certain that I spent way more time under the water than I did above the water. There were moments, there were moments, glimpses. I could just, I was on the surfboard. I mean, they talk you through it. They teach you, they they tell you what to do. And then before you go on the water, you take your surfboard and you're on the sand and you practice some of the moves, right? Some of you are nodding, you know, kind of how this works. And I could do all of that. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I was right. The story that I was telling myself about surfing, I can do this. Well, and, and that was all true until I actually got out on the water. And then there were more complications that arose. And I still cannot, I I could not explain to you what those complications were because I, as I said, I spent more time under the water than above it. There were a few glimpses, few moments where I could feel just lying on the surfboard, I could feel the wave move me. And I, I, I caught that glimpse, but it was almost immediately followed by the splash of water on top of me and me swallowing a bunch of salt water. So in this instance though, right, a story that I told myself just, you know, resulted in drinking a bunch of salt water and and probably, uh, you know, causing me never to want to surf again. But, but what if the, what if the story was different? What if the situation was a a bit different? What if this was about eternity? What if the, the parts of the story that we're telling ourselves actually made a difference to our life now and forever? 
Because this is the claim with Jesus. The stories that we tell, in fact, Jesus is going to want to invite us. He's going to want to challenge us and say, my story needs to be part of your story. There are consequences, right? When we tell ourselves a story that is wrong. So in general terms, I hope at the very least today that by looking at at this example, this will at least demonstrate that there are consequences if we tell ourselves the wrong story. More specifically, my goal though, however, today is for us to get the story of Jesus straight. Because as I said, he invites every one of us, all of us, young and old, into his story. And I'm convinced that his story is the only story in life that has a happy ending. So I want us to look at this passage in Luke as if we are kind of literary students. What is the story? What's happening? What's the plot? What are the characters? What are the conclusion? What's the climax? All these kinds of things. So, uh, but, but here specifically is what, what I want to do. I want us to consider the plot or the struggle of Cleopas and his, accompli- uh, his companion to understand their story. I want us to look at the reply from the mysterious stranger, right? Every good story has a mysterious stranger that brings clarity. And then third, I want us to learn the response. I want to learn from the response of Cleopas and his companion. Okay. Before we dig in though, I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we commit this, these moments to the Lord. Father, once again, uh, we, we are before you and we say, Wherever we're at, God, just open our eyes a bit further to your truth. We commit this time to you and speak, Lord, your servants are listening in Jesus name. Amen. So here's the struggle with Cleopas and his companion. They are living in a tragedy. And that's how they see this story about them uh, that they're in. They're living in a tragedy, right? So the text gives us glimpses of this, right? They're obviously disappointed that this person that they had followed for up to about three years of their lives, given their lives, given their hope, given their trust in all of this was now dead and gone. And the, the text said these men were sad, or these people. Actually, it's not clear if his companion was male or female, but, but these people were sad, The kind of story that Cleopas and his friend were telling each other was that this is over. This part is over. So what is the, what is the plot? Let me just kind of set the stage a little bit. We've got in their story that they're telling themselves, right? The hero of the story is Jesus of Nazareth. Important point that the text makes, right? This is a particular individual. This isn't sort of some kind of general sense of, you know, goodness or, you know, love or compassion. You know, those are all good things. But these people identify a particular individual, this real human being, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one we're talking about. This is the, the, the hero of our story. And then the text also gives us some insight a little bit, a tiny bit, only a tiny bit for us, but I think it was more for the original readers of of the gospel of Luke and that they identify one of these people by name. Why do you think they would have done that? 
without really giving us much more. Because if you looked up the name in, in the Bible, you're not going to learn much about who this Cleopas was. But I think the original readers would have known this guy. So they've identified the name and, and, by, and by doing so, they said, go ask him. This is about Cleopas, that guy that you know that lives down on, you know, whatever, down the street. This is the guy. Go talk to him. Okay, so this is the setting of the stage. Then in the body, our hero emerges. Right? They talk about this guy. This guy, the text said, was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in verse 19. Right? A prophet. This is a very specific uh, term in, in, in the mind of the Jewish person for, for the nation of Israel. Right? Uh, part of, at, at the very heart of what it was to be a prophet, right? This was a special individual that was supposed to be, at least they claimed to be empowered by God to help the, the, the nation live out the way God wanted to. Sometimes they had to um, call the, the uh, country to task. Other times they actually uh, made prophetic word about what was going to happen in the future. But at the very least, a prophet was someone who had to tell the truth. What he said had to happen. Right? So we read in places like Deuteronomy 18, these words, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing that does not take place or, or prove true, uh, but that thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and do not be frightened by it. And though the text doesn't say this, it, the implication is the flip side is true. Right? If it's true what the prophet has spoken, then they are speaking from God and you need to pay attention. You and I need to listen to it. So at the very least, at the very least, the prophet had to tell the truth. And in these guys, in Cleopas and his companions' mind, Jesus was exactly what was right in a prophet. Exactly what we want in a prophet. He told the truth. He called people to account exactly the things we would expect from a prophet. But on top of that... On top of that, he also demonstrated miraculous power. And as a result, we read in verse 21, here's this declaration of the story that they were telling themselves about Jesus. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They were hanging their hope on this man, right? Their future, everything that they knew about their country, about their identity, everything was wrapped up in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, exactly what we'd expect a prophet to be like. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. But then we have kind of, we'll call it from our perspective, an, an anticlimax. Because then what they're talking about, as they, as they go about their journeys, they're talking about this incident that happened just before they, they decided to go back to Emmaus. Some women in our group astounded us. Right? They did not find his body there. So they're telling the stories. They're rehashing it to this mysterious stranger who shows up and asks him what's going on. And they say, well, some women astounded us, right? They went earlier than, than or they were up earlier than we did. They went to the place where they thought Jesus was buried, but they came back and told us they couldn't find the body. Now, back then, we all know this. You've, you've, you've probably heard this and, and, and um, recognized this, right? The... 
And so I'll try to say this as carefully as I can because it, it sounds, it's, it's rough to our ears. But the words, the testimony of women did not count that much in that culture. It was not accepted in the, in the, uh, in the legal framework as valid. And so these men had this out, right? These women came and said they went to finish off the burial process, but they couldn't find the body. And Cleopas and his companion maybe looked at each other and said, yeah, you know, women, right? But then they said, but there's more. Two others ran ahead. Two others ran after them and said, they couldn't find it either. But who were those individuals? Peter. Oh, well, you know, Peter, right? Peter flies off the handle all the time, right? Maybe he just got caught up in the, in what the women were saying and got excited and probably went to the wrong tomb, right? You know, Peter, that sounds like him. But, and who's the other one? John. Wow. John, you know, I mean, he expressed his love and his, and his appreciation so deeply. And he was so disturbed at the loss of Jesus that, that again, same thing, just probably got, got caught up in the excitement and, and only thought he didn't see the body there, right? These are the things that we tell ourselves when our story doesn't work out the way we were expecting. And this is exactly what was happening in the, in the, the minds of Cleopas and his companion. They were recounting this and explaining this to this mysterious stranger who had, who had uh, um, appeared to talk to them. And when the signs did not match the way they expected, right? They expected that if, if this was truly a prophet of God, he would never be killed. And if this was truly the Messiah, a special prophet, right? The one that was actually supposed to come from God to deliver Israel, to deliver Israel. But instead he died. Well, this couldn't be him then. It was impossible for him, for, for it to be him. Right? And uh, the uh, when the signs did not match the way they expected, they lost hope. Hopefully this at least illustrates to us the power of our expectations and offers us a good reason to be careful to keep our expectations under observation. The problem with expectations as we're learning from this text is that they can be built on top of anything. That when that anything includes misunderstanding or error, we put ourselves in jeopardy. They got two parts, right? Signs of the prophet of God and signs of an empty tomb. But even those were not enough to get past the middle part, right? For Cleopas and his friend, the story really ended at this climax, the death of Jesus. Because they couldn't see, they couldn't imagine how this could be part of God's plan. And so they, they, they told us, they told the stranger that, that appeared to them on the road as they were walking back home. That the, cl the climax came with a tragic demise, right? That's a tragedy. When things start off so good, when a story starts off good, but it does not have a happy ending. That's a tragedy, and for them, that's exactly what happened. In fact, in verse 20, he, they explain, our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. That's it. That's the end of the story. Plus, listen, look, I, I know this guy did a, a bunch of amazing things, but come on, they said in, in verse 21, it's now the third day. Three days since this took place. What else could happen? How could this change? How could it be anything but a tragedy? 
So they took this story and they embraced it. Then they were going back to their lives, living out this tragedy. They were telling themselves, this is how the story ends. It's tragic. So this is what they told the mysterious stranger. But now we see in the text that this stranger responds, replies. Basically, he tells them this. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't think this is the right story of Jesus of Nazareth. Actually, you know what? He was a bit more firm and, and, and uh, uh, a little bit combative, if I'm to be honest in my impression. He says in, verse, uh, in, in the text, how dumb can you be? Well, he, I mean, in, in the Bible, it's, it softened it a little bit, right? How foolish you are. That's what the text says, right? How foolish you are. How slow of heart. How foolish. You've just listed, this stranger is saying, you've just listed all this great evidence. And you're telling me the story is over? There's, there's tell, you're telling me that there's nothing more that could happen to, de- to demonstrate God's control, to demonstrate God's power, to demonstrate the fact that God has maybe actually redeemed Israel through this. And how slow of heart. You followed him for maybe up to three years. You spent time with him. You were close to him. You not only, not only saw what he did, but you heard his words and you could see the intensity with which he brought them. You could see that this was authentic. Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, this particular person loved people and not just the rich and the famous, but he loved the people at the margins. He reached out to the newcomer. He looked for those that were in pain and suffering. You saw this and yet you couldn't believe you couldn't trust. This is a challenge to all of us from the stranger. The stranger presents another reading of the story to Cleopas and his companion. And he presents, and in so doing, I think he presents a challenge to us, especially those of us who up until now have not invited, have not taken up Jesus's invitation to enter into his story, to consider how his story might become part of your story. And in fact, not just part of it, but the actual key and the foundation, how that is possible. And so it's a challenge from the stranger to listen up. There's more to the story of Jesus than him living, being miraculous, having some neat teachings and then dying. Then he clarifies, he helps clarify. And he makes reference then the stranger to your own Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets of of Israel. This was basically a collection of most of their literature that helped uh, people understand what the identity of the, of the nation of Israel was all about. It, It included the legal code and it included all of the details of their history. And it included all of the, um, the calls to repent, all the calls to live out this relationship with God demonstrated to the world because it was going to be through them. That's what they thought that the rest of the world would be saved. So what did the Moses and the prophets say? There's so much I could say at this point, but I've I've given you, if you have the the sermon notes, you'll have a list of four different passages that that I've, I've included as a place to start. 
Genesis 3.15, right at the beginning of Moses, the Moses section, right? We have this, uh, we have this declaration that the offspring of humanity, there would come a time when someone would come uh, and he would be wounded. Later on, we learn that this was a, a, a prophecy about Jesus, that the darkness, the, the devil and his demons would, the text says, uh, hurt his heel, but he would crush his skull, crush his head. He would destroy him, but he would be wounded in the process. That's the key, right? That the stranger wanted them to know. And then you can look at passages like Isaiah 53, pretty much the whole, the whole chapter talks about this servant of God and the servant of God would be someone, this special individual who would come, who would be part, if you read it in context from, from these uh, amazing p- chapters in Isaiah from uh, 49 all the way through roughly to 60 and and even some afterwards as well, declaring how God would bring about his redemption. That this part of this was this special unique individual who would have to suffer. And Isaiah 53 is rife with his suffering. And then you've got a a passage like Ezekiel chapter two that refers to this special servant, this special individual from God as the son of man. A title I'll talk about in just a moment. But this son of man, this special uh, servant of God, will actually suffer at the hands of his own people. So here's this, this mysterious stranger reminding that I'm, I'm, I, I don't know for a fact. And of course, you know, as we know, this mysterious stranger turns out to be Jesus himself. So, so Jesus would have a better sense of this than I would even, right? So I'm sh- I would have loved to have heard that message that he, he walked them through all of this. But here's my attempt to do what maybe Jesus did, right? Point out how this was all part of the process. This was all part of the plan from the very beginning. And that sometimes we just pick out parts of the story that we like, right? Yeah, a powerful individual to come and give us redemption. Those are the parts we like. Those are the ones we accept. And that, that's how it has to happen. These are expectations. Until we read the story closer. There's another one from, from uh, the book of Daniel as well, but I'll leave that to you to, to look at. But in addition to Moses and the prophets of Israel, and the text here doesn't say this, But the implication, I think, is that that there's a bonus to this. Not only do you have Moses and the prophets, but you also have the words of Jesus of Nazareth himself. So in places just before our passage, actually, in in, uh, the first few uh, uh, verses of Luke 24, we've got this, the actual account of these women going to the tomb to finish off the burial process. And then they encounter an angel. What does the angel tell them? The angel says, remember, he told you, Jesus of Nazareth told you that the son of man, there's that term again, must be handed over to sinners and be crucified. And then on the third day rise again, he told you that. And the text says in Luke 24, then they remembered. Oh yes, he did say that. But even earlier in Luke chapter nine, a couple places, right? We have the same sort of thing. Peter makes this great declaration of who Jesus is and how he is, um, he is the Messiah, right? This God's promised one, the servant of God from, uh, from Isaiah 53 um, and the, uh, the offspring of humanity from Genesis chapter three, that he was the Messiah, uh, that he was the Messiah, right? Right after that, Jesus says, okay, Remember this, that's right, but this person, the son of man, me, myself, I must undergo great suffering. 
and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He does the same thing again a few verses later. Let these words sink into your ears, he says in the text. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. So all through, these people had these details of the story that were available to them, but they ignored them because they chose to hang on to what they wanted to hang on to. And as a result, their expectations got, or as a result of these expectations, their story was wrong. And they were about to live out a tragedy when in fact, the hero was right in front of them. So the response then, their response, or the conclusion is living in the right story. Because, you know, the text explains this, this wonderful kind of miraculous event that happened, right? These men invited this mysterious, or these people invited this mysterious stranger into, into a home to have dinner with them. And as he, as he broke the bread, wonderfully uh, symbolic of, of, um, of his own death and resurrection. As he broke the bread, he disappeared. They, they recognized him then in that moment because they weren't expecting to see him there, right? They weren't expecting until he began to teach them and began, uh, until he began to tell them the story the right way. And then they looked at each other and they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road? while he was opening the scriptures to us? Was this not confirmed by an internal witness? Did we not think, yeah, there is something to this. He's not making this stuff up. This has been there all along. We've just missed it. Or we just underplayed it. Or we just let our own expectations cover all of this up. And so here's this mysterious stranger who turns out to be Jesus, revealing this, pulling these layers back of the expectations and saying, no, no, God's been promising this all along. You just haven't been listening. You've been foolish. You've been slow of heart. And so the invitation is to them to stop being that way. You can see it. You can live out a different story. So they got excited about this, right? So here's these two people. They've just left Jerusalem, made it to Emmaus. And then they got so excited that they went back to Jerusalem. That same hour, it says. They didn't just tell each other, yeah, this is great news, but man, I'm tired. You know, maybe let's go first thing tomorrow morning. No, they were excited about this because they knew the difference that this makes. If Jesus is really alive, and if this follows suit with, with what God's been saying all along, then this matters to me. Then we're not living in a tragedy. Then there is a happy ending. There is power to life. Now, keep in mind the entire question asked by Jesus. Was it not necessary that Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Right? That's the part they like. But that's still the, only the second part of the question. They had to deal with the suffering part first and recognize that. Because and then he will enter into his glory. Suffering, then glory. Glory through suffering. That was the part they were missing. That caused them to lose hope lose hope. Can you imagine these people? They were so close, right? They were so close and yet they were ready to go back and live as if it was a tragic end to the story. If not for the grace of Jesus. The story we tell ourselves gives us the material with which we use to make our daily decisions, both big and small. If, for instance, we choose not to believe in God, we will have different reasons for our actions. 
and we will have a different set of actions from which to choose. If we tell ourselves that our story includes God, but the version of that story includes a God that is angry or punitive, our thoughts and actions will be affected. When Jesus asked this, his question of the two on the road, he was suggesting three things. First, consider that your story that you're telling yourself is wrong. Bold claim. But that's a, a, a claim and a challenge for us today. Consider the possibility that the story you're telling yourself about your life, about how it works, is wrong. Second, he says, there is hope. You can reconsider. And then third, Jesus says, it's okay. I will show you. I will show you. Then, just as Norval Geldenheis explains, with burning hearts, but still unaware that it was Jesus himself who was teaching them, they listened to his incomparable exposition of the deepest contents of the Old Testament. And thus they learned that everything that had happened to the Savior was in agreement with the prophetic word. And, and that he would still be revealed as conqueror. This is how he rekindled hope in these men. They were correct, but only partially correct. The day will come, hear this, the day will come when Jesus will return as conqueror to finalize this process of redemption. So let me ask you, what story are you telling yourself? There's so much more than just hope that's available in the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus Christ embraced by countless people across time claims that the God of the universe, the source of all that exists, has acted in time and space with the purpose of reconciling all of humanity to himself. His desire is that not one of us live now or in eternity apart from his loving care. He invites us to respond before we can get our own story straight, we need to get the story of Jesus straight. So this leads us to our great need. And as we finish up, I'm going to invite the, the music team to come up and get ready for our closing song. So what's our great need? Our great need is this. Let's get our story straight, okay? Let's do our best to get our story straight. Here, here are the, as far as I could tell from this uh, passage, four things that we should do that we could do to help get our story straight because it involves first getting the story of Jesus straight. First of all, read the whole book, right? This was a big theme in this section of, of this passage, right? They had bits and pieces and they had developed expectations over the bits and pieces, but he's saying, don't just look at the bits and pieces. You got to look at the whole story. So here's my invitation. Even today, yes, we need to know the story of Jesus, but we also need to know the context of the story of Jesus. There's a big chunk right before that we refer to as the Old Testament, but it's, it's old only, only in terms of time. It doesn't mean old or um, it doesn't matter anymore. We've got to pay attention to that. We've got to see the context out of which Christ emerges. So read the whole book. I, I, I encourage you, just like Jesus did with, with uh, Cleopas and his companion. He told the whole story. You've got to hear the whole story. 
Secondly, we need to use Jesus as the interpretive key. He is the center of this story, of the, of, the, of the scripture. We need to see Jesus as that key. Just like Jesus presented himself to these people, uh, he presents himself to us. He says, this is about me. This is about my invitation or me declaring God's invitation through the power of the spirit to each of us to enter into my story, to see the difference that I make to you for now and for eternity. And also the third thing is this, to pay attention to the internal witness of the spirit. This is one of the wonderful resources that God has given to us. The indwelling spirit, his spirit that helps us to, that helps uh, enlighten scripture as we read it. So we need to pay attention. We need to take our time as we read through and see what God is saying and seek to understand what God is saying. Sometimes we need to wrestle with parts of the Bible, with parts of the story as we come to terms with it. But then there's this final option or this final part to get our story straight. And that is this. We get to check the story with each other. We get to check in with each other and we get to see, this is what I'm understanding. Does this make sense? Am I understanding this correctly? Oh no, it's this. Or are you sure? Well, maybe we better both go and ask somebody or talk to somebody. That's just the response that these, that Cleopas and his companion had. Let's go, let's go tell them. Let's go see if this is true. Could that really have been Jesus? Could we have been seeing something? And so they went back and checked and we have that opportunity as well. Phil talked about earlier community groups, wonderful way for us to get involved in smaller groups, to, to have these kinds of discussions, to Check the story with each other. The better our understanding of the story of Jesus, including all of the evidence available, the better we will be able to make sense of our own lives. Just as a mysterious stranger who turns out to be Jesus, if I haven't made that clear, warns Cleopas and his companion, it's not just about understanding, it is also about believing. Believing that Jesus is God, that he died for you and I so that we can live. We are invited to respond, to enter into the story of Jesus by confessing our sins and submitting to him as the one and only perfect guide for life. Not only this life, but the life in his kingdom to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story that we have for us so we can go back to it. And as I said, uh, God, this is, uh, it's a massive text. There's so much here and we've just kind of scratched the surface, but, but father, I, I pray God for, for, for all of us, those of us who are here and those of us who are watching elsewhere. And even as we go about our, our lives, that God, you would help us to come to terms with this, that we would help us to, un- you would help us to understand that these things we tell ourselves, the story that we're telling ourselves about our life matters and that it matters if it's right or wrong. That God, you've presented to us a story that you claim is right, is the right story. So Father, help us, help each of us, no matter where we're at now, this starting point from this moment on, God, that you would give us the courage, you would give us the strength, you would lead us as Jesus led Cleopas and his companion through the power of the spirit that was working in them as well. You would lead us to understand more and more and to believe more and more in the saving power, the redeeming power of Jesus for all. In his name we pray. 
If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.